Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to everyone listening, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 19 of the Well-Read Podcast. I am your host, Megan Bierke, a.k.a. The Real Bookish Writer. I am a reader, writer, bookseller, book festival goer, and I am and always have been obsessed with genre fiction. So for those of you who are new here, in this episode, there will be two segments. The first is a review section of the books I've read in the past week, and the second consists of new author interviews. So let's dive in. The first book I read was a reread, actually, of The Foxglove King by Hannah Witten. When Laura was 13, she escaped a cult in the catacombs beneath the city of Del Air, and in the 10 years since, she's lived by one rule. Don't let them find you. Easier said than done when her death magic ties her to the city. Mortem, the magic born from death, is a high-priced and illicit commodity in Del Air, and Laura's job running poisons keeps her in food, shelter, and relative security. But when a run goes wrong and Laura's power is revealed, she's taken by a group of warrior monks sanctioned to use Mortem working for the sainted king. Laura fully expects a pyre, but King August has a different plan. Entire villages on the outskirts of the country have been dying overnight, seemingly at random. Laura can either use her magic to find out what's happening and who in the king's court is responsible, or die. Laura is thrust into the sainted king's glittering court where no one can believe and even fewer can be trusted. Guarded by Gabriel, a duke turned monk, and continually running up against Bastian, August ne'er to do well heir, Laura tangles in politics, religion, and forbidden romance as she attempts to navigate a debauched and opulent society. But the life she left behind in the catacombs is catching up with her, and even as Laura makes her way through the sainted court above, they might be drawing closer than she thinks. This book was released last year, but the sequel, The Hemlock Queen, comes out in March, so I did a quick reread to refresh my memory, and I loved it just as much as I did the first time. This book is dark and sexy, sharp and exciting, and as a major fan of Witten's storytelling, this book did not disappoint. I am also incredibly excited to see how the second book plays out after the ending of this one. The second book was an Amazon original short story collection that has stories from popular romance authors Abby Jimenez, Ashley Poston, Jasmine Guillory, Christina Lawrence, Soraya Wilson, and Sally Thorne. I'm not going to read the synopses here because there are six of them, but overall I thought they were fun, quick reads that I really, really enjoyed just in time for Valentine's Day. And while there were some that I liked more than others, I honestly think all of these could be expanded into some really great full-length novels. And if I had to pick, I think my favorites were Royal Valentine by Soraya Wilson and The Exception to the Rule by Christina Lauren. The third book I read was Kindling by Tracy Chi. Once the war was fought with kindlings, elite magic-wielding warriors whose devastating power comes at the cost of their own young lives. Now, the war is over, and kindlings have been cast adrift. Their magic outlawed, their skills outdated, their formidable valor weapons prized only as relics and souvenirs. Yet violence still plagues the countryside, and memories haunt those who remain. So when a village comes under the threat of siege, it offers an opportunity for seven kindlings to fight one last time. But war changed these warriors, and to reclaim who they once were, they will have to battle their pasts, their trauma, and their grim fates to come together again, or none of them will make it out alive. This standalone fantasy, which was inspired by classic films like Seven Samurai and The Magnificent Seven, was freaking incredible. Because there are so many books I want to read, once I finish one, I'm usually immediately on to the next one, and very rarely continue to think about a book, no matter how good it is. But that was not the case with Kindling. I am still thinking about this book almost a week later. It's a story about loss, about death, about trauma. It's about child soldiers who are used and then discarded. It's about what happens after war and about how our choices can define us. 
This book made me cry, made me laugh, made me think deeply. It's truly an incredible novel that has affected me greatly. And I will say it is written in second person, which did take my brain a bit to get used to. But once it did, I couldn't imagine it being written any other way. This book is absolutely incredible. Thank you so much, HarperCollins, for the arc. And thank you, Tracy, so much for this book. Kindling is out February 27th. The last book I read was Heartless Hunter, or if you're in the UK, it's also known as Crimson Moth, by Kristen Ciccarelli. On the night Rune's life changed forever, blood ran in the streets. Now in the aftermath of a devastating revolution, witches have been diminished from powerful rulers to outcasts, ruthlessly haunted due to their waning magic, and Rune must hide what she is. Spending her days pretending to be nothing more than a vapid young socialite, Rune spends her nights as the Crimson Moth a witch vigilante who rescues her kind from being purged. When a rescue goes wrong, she decides to throw the winch hunters off her scent and gain the entail she desperately needs by courting the handsome Gideon Sharp, a notorious and unforgiving witch hunter loyal to the revolution, who she can't help but find herself falling for. Gideon loathes the decadence and superficiality Rune represents, but when he learns the Crimson Moth has been using Rune's merchant ships to smuggle renegade witches out of the Republic, he inserts himself into her social circus by pretending to court her right back. He soon realizes that beneath her beauty and shallow facade is someone fiercely intelligent and tender who feels like his perfect match. Except what if she's the very villain he's been hunting? I am not exaggerating when I say that I am obsessed with this book. Heartless Hunter blew me away. It reinforced why I love young adult fantasy so much, both as a reader and a writer, and how these kinds of books can be full of emotion and pain, but also so much heart. This book has so many things that I love in my novels. Forbidden romance, enemies to lovers, fake courting, slow burn, cat and mouse, morally gray characters. It has incredible tension, banter, chemistry, secrets, and betrayal. And even the magic system was unique. And while this may seem like a lot, Kristen does it so well. She successfully managed to weave all these incredible things together without it being too much or overwhelming. Instead, it all lends itself to fantastic characters, captivating world building, and a fast-paced plot. Thank you so much to Wednesday for my arc and to Kristen for making me fall in love with another world you've created. Heartless Hunter is out February 20th. I know it was a long section today, but that's it for reviews, so let's move on to the interview portion of this episode. My first guest today is an author that I have looked up to for years and one I never thought I would ever have the chance to interview. She is the number one New York Times bestselling author of almost 60 books, and she aspires to three things, writing hot and unforgettable character-driven romances, being a good mother, and eventually sneaking on to the judging panel on a reality show baking competition. And Fangirl Down, her first book in her next series, Big Shots, is out today from Avon. Please welcome one of my all-time favorite authors and someone I am still a bit starstruck over, Tessa Bailey. Well, welcome, 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 Tessa. I am beyond excited to have you here. Like, I'm getting a little emotional just because it's such an honor to talk with you. Um, I've been a fan of your writing for years. Uh, It Happened One Summer was one of the books that got me into the romance genre after hating it for years because of a different book I read. Um, and never in my wildest dreams did I ever think I would have the opportunity to chat with you. So like you being here is such an honor. And thank you so much. I really appreciate it. 
<laughs> Thank you for having me. And as soon as we stop recording, I'm going to have to find out what that book was. <laughs> made you hate romance. Uh, right. I won't probably say it publicly, but um, I definitely want to know. I'm so glad that we brought you back to the fold, though. Absolutely. And now 90, probably 85 to 90% of what I read and buy is romance. So it was definitely a major influence in my reading. That's awesome. In my reading. Um, I did want to say really quick though, happy late birthday. It was your birthday Thank the other you. day. How was your birthday? Uh, did you do anything fun? Yeah, I did. I had a party. I had a big party um, and uh, at my house. It's like maybe like 30, 35 people and um, had a big cake that I <laughs> that I absolutely um, wrecked trying to cut. Uh, I don't know what happened, but it just like fell to pieces. But everybody ate it anyway. And it was great. I'm 40 now. So um it, yeah, it feels kind of like mentally it feels weird, but physically I feel exactly the same. I don't know. <laughs> it was a good time and um, I have great friends. So um, I'm, yeah, I like, I'm so far happy to be 40. Good. Well, if your thirties were any indication of what your future is going to look like, I cannot wait to see what your forties are going to look like because <laughs> you've had a hell of a career. Uh, so let's jump in. It's the question I start all my interviews off uh, with. Why did you want to become a writer and how did it happen? I didn't think I could ever be a writer. I like, you know, I've kind of like had this kind of like image of authors as being like extremely uh, like, well, like Ivy League educated and really, really smart and like knew what they wanted to do from a young age. But I was like, I'm not that smart and I'm a college dropout. And I, you know, I just love romance so much and um, I love writing. So when the time came for, I'd had, I'd had my baby, I had a, a child and she was one years old and or one year old. And I, I kind of was like, I, I think it's time for me to try something and try and have a passion. I wanted her to be proud of me one day. Um, and I thought this is the only thing I really truly love and with all my heart is romance novels. And so like, let me try. Cause like from a young age, I'd kind of like did this thing where I would stare off into space, like in while I had company and everything. And I would just like write stories in my head. And sometimes it would just like, I would take like a week just to like formulate one chapter of that story. And then I would move to the next one. And sometimes it would just last for months. And I kind of like looking back, it should have been some kind of clue. <laughs> that I was going to be a writer or, or creative in some way. So um, yeah, I'm just really lucky that I was able to get eyes on some of my work and, and have it work and have it work out. But what is it about romance that you love? Cause obviously you, it sounds like you read and you write romance. So what is it about the genre that just, it just captures your interest? Well, I think like the, like the misconception of romance from the outside is that it's all about like sex. Like we get these like, um, stupid names attached to us, like mommy porn and things like that. And it's so not that, like, I think that that is part of it. Like, I love a good sex scene. You know this about me. Um, but I also think it's like really about communication and like the things we don't get in real life from our partners, which is paying it like them paying attention and listening to us and then taking what we say and incorporating it into their behavior or like remembering what we say about our favorite things and then calling that back and like showing up with our favorite things and just making us feel like heard and appreciated and I think that's what I keep coming back to romance for is like 
can, you know, just like the acknowledgement from the hero to the heroine of like, yes, what you're saying is important. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to, I want to listen so that I can be better to you so that I can make you feel important. And I like, to me, that's what the genre is. Now, as a fan of the spice in your books, because I love me some spice, how do you write such well-communicated, good, believable, like non-cringy spice? Like it's so well-written and just like, it might be a weird question, but how do you translate that onto the page so well? I, I think like there's something about sex that should be, um, a little bit earthy and like, you know, there shouldn't be, um, I, I always say that where it, what it comes down to for me is objectification because I think as like a woman, I feel like every single day and this, and obviously if you're not, if you're, you know, no matter who you are reading romance, you have to play like 15 different roles, right. All day long. You're you're a parent or you're a spouse or you are a coworker or you're like, you're all of these different things. Um, but you can't be those things when you're in a, in a intimate moment. Like you have to like, let go of everything you are and just be a sexual being. And I think as long as both parties are consenting enthusiastically, which they always are in my books, like um, I think the hero objectifying the heroine is really sexy. Like to me, that's sexy because it's like, I'm just this sexual being and all I have to focus on is an orgasm, you know, like, and so when he calls it that pussy and he says that he's calling her like, you know, he's kind of like breaking her down into like, um, just, you know, her, like her physical attributes or like what she's done to him, uh, how she's aroused him and things like that. It's just like, it opens up the field for really good, just down and dirty, you know, like uh, just like a physical connection. And so that's the best way I can describe it. I have like a really hard time, like actually getting that across because I feel like it's something that just comes really naturally and organically to me. And I don't really know how, but um, objectification is my official answer. <laughs> I like it. Now, Fangirl Down, which is your next book that's coming out, it's a golf romance. And the next book in the series, The Au Pair Affair, is a hockey one. So as someone who is apparently in her sports romance phase now, especially after I read this, like, that's all I want to read. Um, why did you choose to do a sports romance series? And why did you choose golf specifically for Fangirl? Like, where did that idea come from? That, that book just came fully formed and he just happened to be a golfer. Uh, that That's like the opening scene is the seed that like lived in my head for two years where I just had this vision of like this golfer being um, just he kind of like the dick of the PGA tour and everybody hates him and he's a jerk to the media and he wants to quit. His game is gone. He's kind of like burned all his bridges and he's grumpy and or and horrible, but he has this one fangirl who like won't quit on him no matter what he does because she sees something great in him and she saw him do something in the past that he didn't think anybody saw and she knows he's a good person deep down. And um, like that just stuck with me and stuck with me and it was never, it just never worked with any other sport. Like it just was this golf, it was a golf story. 
And I'm not like a huge golf fan. Like I'm not like, I mean, I do like it now after having done so much research on it, uh, on the sport and have watched it for a while. Um, but it just like, it came fully formed and I just wanted to leave it exactly as I had it. I didn't want to try and force it into like a basketball story or a baseball story or whatever. Um, and now I, I actually really enjoy it. And I know a lot of people don't think golf is sexy, but I'm here to prove them wrong. So um... you proved me wrong. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. I was, I never thought golf was that sexy. And I read this and I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> maybe golf is sexy what the hell maybe I need to start watching this sport or maybe playing the sport a little bit uh did you know when you started writing that you wanted it to like you wanted to expand on this universe with the au pair affair or was it only supposed to be one story it was supposed to be well I knew I couldn't just write uh, a standalone I, I think there had to be some sort of series attached um and I I was going to write a rugby, I was going to write a rugby player next. And my publisher was kind of like, don't do rugby. So many people have tried rugby and it just doesn't translate to Americans. They don't like it. I was like, okay. And they were like, and I've kind of like been talking about hockey a lot on TikTok and whatnot. And um, they were like, you can do a hockey player so well. You already write these kind of like super competitive alpha male heroes. Like it's such a no brainer. So I started writing the au pair affair and it was only supposed to be two books. It was going to be fangirl down and the au pair affair. And then I met the hockey team and I was like, Oh no, I'm stuck here forever because all of them are so funny and interesting that I'm like, so I've already written. Um, there's a third book that's written in this series, the big shot series. Yeah. You'll know exactly who it is when you read au pair affair. And then there's two characters, um, two hockey players that are like the rookies on the team that I call the orgasm donors in the book. And they, um, they are, they're probably going to get books. So I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but <laughs> I'm enjoying myself. Hey, and it translates to the page because fangirl down. It's just, it's so well written. And like, as a reader, I feel like you had so much fun writing it. Like you said, the idea came to you and it was pretty much fully formed. And like you can tell, it's just, it's such a damn good book. Um, and I'm very, very excited for the hockey ones. Although I do believe that you could have totally written a very good rugby one. <laughs> I was lucky enough to see a rugby um, game when I was in New Zealand. And now I officially want a rugby romance. So you could have done no, that. Like I, so I read a rugby romance like a way back when from Nalini Singh. Do you, have you read um, Nalini Singh? She I haven't. Um, I think it's called like the Hard Rock series or something or Rock Hard. Um, but it's like, it was so good. You know, like I, like who doesn't want to write? I, I, big thighs are my thing. Like literally they're like part of my personality. Um, so I, I'm going to get there one day. I feel like somebody has to kick the door down eventually on rugby and romance. They do, especially for American audiences. And like yeah. I said, you would do it very well. Not that I'm volunteering you, but I also <laughs> am kind of volunteering you. <laughs> now in Fangirl specifically, there is some very great mental health representation in Wells and a chronic illness rep with Josephine, specifically type one diabetes. And that's something I don't know if I've ever seen in a romance book before, uh, and it was handled, I know, shocker that you wrote this so well, but it was handled so well. And why was it important for you to have this kind of representation in the book? And did you know that Josephine was always going to have 
diabetes and this kind of stuff going on. And that was going to be a part of their relationship, like him taking care of her and him looking out for her, that kind of stuff. So yeah, di- type one diabetes is, it was really important to get it right. Um, because my, so my daughter, she has type one diabetes. She, she's 12. She was diagnosed when she was six. Um, and I've been like always really careful to like, make sure everybody knows, like she was not, she did not inspire the character. That would be very weird. <laughs> considering how much sex is in this book. Um, but I definitely feel like I understand the personality of somebody who has, especially this this certain chronic illness of type one diabetes and how freaking mentally tough you have to be to, to, to do it 24 hours a day without a break um, ever. You never get a break. And it's like, that is important. I needed that to get across that it was, it's this thing that, um, doesn't make you weaker, makes you stronger because I mean, to deal with that all, all the time, you have to be so, you have to be tough as nails. Um, so I wanted it to be a main focus of the book, but not, I didn't want it to be like the thing that defines Josephine. Like I, you know, I, I think that's really important. So I did really, it did, it was really important for me to a get diabetes accurate and make it, make it accurate, but also I really wanted to give her the perfect foil in Wells um, someone who would be tough on her, be, make her tougher because, um, I just think that somebody who, who does have a chronic illness doesn't need to be baby. They need to be, they need a better, they need a good teammate. That's what I think. So, um, that's kind of how Wells was created. And, um, yeah, they just became this perfect teammate, these perfect teammates for each other, um, so seamlessly. And it just, wove its wove its way through the book like them getting stronger and stronger together and I just like I was just along for the ride it was great (laughs) and it was very refreshing how Wells interacted with her because like you said he didn't treat her any different like he cared about her you know he con without I don't think this gives us anything away but like he contacts her parents to see like what he can do when they're out on tour you know to make sure that she's okay make sure she's safe but he never treats her differently like it's never a weakness or a disability kind of in his eyes yeah and I I love that about him as the love interest and they just they just support each other so well like I could go on and on about this book this book was so damn good I was thank you very much it was I I devoured it it was so good um (laughs) Now, there's a bunch of other different themes within this book, and I'm not going to give too much away because it is coming out soon when we're talking, but what is the main thing that you want readers to take away from this book? I think um, for me, like looking back on it, i sorry, I keep looking over there because there's actually a picture on the wall um, of Wells and Josephine that it was an illustration that was done for the afterlight edition. Nice. <laughs> so like, I'm talking about them. I keep looking over. I can't even show it to you yet. Uh, but I, it's been on my wall for like the last couple of months. Uh, Cause I absolutely adore it so much. But uh, I think how important mutual respect is in a relationship, like um, and making sacrifices and tough decisions for the better of your partner. I think that that's what, who Wells and Josephine are you know, like, again, we don't want to give away anything, but um, big sacrifices are made because they want the other person to be better. They want to be, they want to be the, be one of the reasons their partner is stronger and they do it so selflessly. And I think it was a healthy relationship. I think it was one of the healthiest relationships I've written. So um, 
I think I would love people to take that away from it. Now, I do want to ask, this wasn't on the list of questions that I totally <laughs> sent you, but I do want to ask, because you have written, how many books have you written at this point? Do you know? I think we're getting close to 60. 60. Okay. What is your favorite book that you've written <laughs> and who has been your favorite character to write? So I fangirl down is, is probably tied with, um, it happened one summer. That's such a hard thing to say. Um, because I do love so many of them. Uh, but I, I feel like fangirl down and it happened one summer, like wrote themselves. I, I, I didn't have to think about them. They just were, they just like, I was like a conduit and I just sort of typed them into existence. But like those two, they just, those, those, they just came very whole, like a package and then just, um, they wrote so, so easily. But, um, I think in terms of characters, Hannah from Hook, Line and Sinker is probably the one I relate to the most. Um, and when I, when I check in like mentally with a character to like see how they're doing, I always go to Hannah to just like see where she is and uh, if she's okay and you know, if she's happy and she always is. But like, I do like to go, go in and check on her probably the most to make sure she's, um, you know, happy and doing, you know, doing fine. I, that's a weird thing, but I, I do check in with my characters a lot mentally. Sometimes on Sunday mornings when I'm like laying in bed, I'll be like, hmm, I wonder what they're up to. And I'll like write a scene in my head for, for like Brendan and Piper or whoever else. And um, that's like, a, that's like one of my greatest joys. So yeah, I would probably say in terms of characters, I would say Hannah is probably my favorite. But I really love Josephine too. So I don't know. It's like, it's a toss up. Well, I can only imagine though what it's like after like investing yourself into these characters and their stories like so intently as you write these books and then having to step away at some point. That's kind of cool that you go back and you're just like, I wonder what they would be doing. I wonder how they're yeah. doing. That's, I like that. Okay. So let's dive into our rapid fire questions. You can be as open and honest about these as you want. You know, you can expand. They can be short. Totally up to you. So I think I know the answer to this, but I want to double check. What is your favorite genre to read? I mean, it's definitely, I mean, I would definitely say romance, although I love, um, I love like a thriller, like I love like a murder thriller. Um, like Tana French is my favorite author for that kind of thing. So sometimes when I need a break from romance, I'll do that. Or I read um, Frederick Bachman a lot too. I like him and I like Tana French. She's good. But so subcategory wise, I don't even know if that's a word, but uh, for romance, do you like contemporary? Do you like historical? Do you like rom-coms? What do you like? I try to like stay away from rom-coms um, because I, I try to, I just try to stay away from anything that I, I write because I like, I'll start looking for patterns or I'll be like, Oh, I wouldn't have done that. I would have done this differently. And I just can't lose myself in the story. Um, but I I do like to go back and read historicals like Sarah McLean I love um, and so many others. But I like I probably I probably look for something that's a little bit outside the rom com genre most of the time. Like yeah, definitely historicals, romantic suspense, something with magical realism in it. I like I like something like that um, or something that's like an excessively slow burn like <laughs> Mariana Z Mariana Zapata or something. Um, just something that's different than me. What's your all-time favorite romance book? Like if you could only recommend one to someone, what would it be? It can't be one of yours. 
<laughs> no, I, would not. I wouldn't say that. I think um, I always say Culty by Mariana is, Zapata is probably one of my favorites, but I also, um, the, the, um, the prize by Julie Garwood is probably the book that made me like think this is my life like romance novels are going to be my life henceforth because it just made me feel so happy and buoyant and like, optimistic and hopeful and I was like this is the feeling I always want from a story uh so yeah I would definitely say yeah the prize probably by Julie Garwood is my favorite book I'll have to read that now I'll have to add that to my <laughs> ever-growing list now if you could write one trope that you haven't written already what would it be and I know after writing 60 books, you've written a lot of them, but is there anywhere you're just like, God, I really want to dive into this or do this twist on this? What would, what would it be? I think the only trope I haven't written is, um, uh, amnesia. So I don't know how I could write amnesia. It's like the very thought of it makes me like, like makes my stomach hurt. Just like imagining what it would be like for a character to lose all of their memories with, with their significant other uh, like that just sounds painful uh and I hate I avoid pain so I think if I did write amnesia what I would do is I would have the book start with the character getting their memories back and then like going from there because I can't live in the moments where they don't remember <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to live in those moments so I might try it one day I don't know we'll see Maybe it'll be a hockey book. I don't know. <laughs> after a bad, really concussion, after a bad concussion, yeah. I can say it. So what are you currently reading and what's on your TBR list this month? Okay, so I just finished, um, I just finished this incredible book called A Love Song for Ricky Wilde by Tia Williams. Um, it's, I don't even know how to describe it. It is like, it is, it is like a magical realism story. It's about a heroine who like feels cosmically drawn to Harlem and she wants to go and open a flower shop. So she like leaves her rich family in Atlanta who owned funeral homes and she goes to open this flower shop. But at the same time, there's like a story, like a parallel timeline running in 1920s Harlem during like the jazz Renaissance and the Harlem Renaissance. And there's a character that lives in that time and there is like a, a love story that takes place across generations. Um, and it was so well executed and beautiful and sexy and sensual and like, oh, oh, I just don't like, don't even know how she pulled it off. I got to interview her two nights ago and I was just like stumbling over my words the whole time. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's what, this is what I have on my TBR though. I just got this in the mail. I believe this is a, yeah, this is an advanced reader copy and this comes out in April. So I'm very lucky that I have friends that send me books that are not out yet. And I mean, gosh, there's so many good books like being released now on like a weekly basis. It's like, we are in the golden era of romance. So literally, I'm so excited to read The Paradise Problem by Christine Lauren. I, I love them and I'm so excited to read that. But I agree, I could literally go through like another um, pandemic and read one or two books every single day for a full year and I still probably wouldn't get through all the books I want to read there's just there's so many good ones coming out and I just I can't keep up so I know and we write so fast that we're just like we're not letting you guys catch up ever. no <laughs> <laughs> you're you're not but you know there could be worse problems I have so that's there a good problem to have problems, yeah now what is the most valuable piece of advice you've ever received in regards to your writing I think um 
my, so I think it's self-given actually. I've gotten very good advice. Um, don't get me wrong, but one of the things I learned after my first couple of books was you need to write like your mom isn't going to read this, you know, like <laughs> I feel like I was writing for, and, and like writing scared, writing scared, like who's going to read this? What are they going to think? Um, and then at some point you just have to write fearlessly and write what turns you on um, and what speaks to you as an individual person, not as a mother, not as a sister, not as a daughter, not as like just you as a woman, like what is speaking to you and what do you want? Like, what do you want out of this story for yourself? Um, and just, and, and, and not, and tune out the outside noise and all the expectations that you have on you all the time and just be just right for what you love and what you feel. So, um, that's something, that's a lesson I learned myself that I remind my, I remind myself of it all the time. I'm going to take that to heart. That's fantastic advice. Honestly, that's some of the best I've heard. I, I really like that. Okay, good. Now, <laughs> if you, I'm going to, seriously, I'm going to, I'm going to hold that. Yeah. I'm going to hold that. Cause that's, that's fantastic advice. And that resonates with me. So thank you for that. Oh, absolutely. I'm glad. I'm glad that that hit home. Now, if you weren't an author experience, education, money, nothing like that mattered, what would you do for work? If you couldn't be an author. So, um, I would be, I'd be a diabetic educator. I have actually something I, I think I might do in, in the future when, you know, when I'm, when writing isn't, when I'm not writing anymore. I mean, who knows how long I'll be able to do this. I, I think like, I always try to be realistic with myself. I'm like, okay, like, you know, there's peaks and valleys in this, in this job. And when you hit a valley and maybe you don't feel like you want to get back up again, like something I, something I would love to do is like help people who are newly their child is newly diagnosed with type one diabetes. So I have so much knowledge of it now. And I don't feel like I was properly prepared when I, when I was sent home with my daughter to, to, to deal with this. And, uh, I just feel like I would love to help prepare people. And I don't think I need a nursing degree. If I do, then we're fucked because I'm not getting that. But, um, <laughs> if it's like, if it's a matter of going to, to a couple of years of college, I would do that. I would do, I would definitely do that to, kind of like fulfill that that dream I like that now if you could invite any person over for dinner dead or alive who would it be I mean right now uh definitely yes. Jason Kelsey <laughs> um Jason I love Kelsey. him I, I love him like I don't know what the heck is going on that like his my it seems like my whole like timeline on every social media platform is just feeding me Jason Kelsey and I it's good obviously because I'm watching it but he just seems like I actually love to have his whole family you know like his wife and his kids they're so funny and so genuine um and just like it's surreal um I guess that's who I'm kind of fangirling over right now <laughs> I love Jason. him and I love his wife his wife is, his wife is so I love cool. her yeah yeah now if you could invite a fictional person over for dinner who would you invite Oh my gosh, that is such a good question. On uh, this time, I'm gonna let it be somebody that I wrote. <laughs> um, oh my god, can I invite over the whole cast of the Bellinger Sister series? Uh, I absolutely. Would love to do that. Um, yeah, and we'll throw in Wells and Josephine too from Fangirl Down because they would. I think they would all get along. So, and his there's something about that grumpy sunshine duo that would just I feel like be really entertaining to witness. Yeah, absolutely. Now, where is a place that you haven't visited that you would like to both domestically and internationally? 
I want to go to uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I've been saying for a while. Uh, I just see pictures of it and it looks breathtaking. I, I don't have a lot of like, I don't go to places that have like wide open space very often. Like if I go on vacation in the United States, it's usually a coast, like a coastal place. I would love to go and just see like just beautiful open land and like sunsets and like Montana. I would love to go to Montana. So those are the places I would like to see here. Um, as far as internationally, um, I definitely, I feel like I'm missing out on Edinburgh uh, in Scotland. I, I had a trip scheduled right before lockdown happened and it was for my husband's like a milestone birthday and we had to cancel it. And um, I've always wanted to go. I've always wanted to go. I've been to Ireland a lot. I've been to the UK, I've been to Italy, but I've never been to Scotland. And I feel like there's something like a piece of my heart is there, even though I've never been there. Does that sound weird? So someday. Well, at some point, I may have to pick your brain about Ireland because I'm actually going in a couple of weeks with my best friend, who's also a writer. So I may have to slide into your DMs and be like, Tessa, I need some recommendations. Tell me where to I go. I will give you an, all the recommendations. Are you going to Dublin? Yeah, we're being based in Dublin. And then we're doing, I think, two like day trips, one up to Belfast and then one to um, the Cliffs of Moher. Yeah, Galway. Um and because I want to see the Giants Causeway up in Belfast, but then we're actually taking a flight from Dublin to Edinburgh for one day, and it was oh. forty bucks round trip. So we're gonna go for just a day. So I'm excited. But it's gonna be amazing. Oh no, I'll have to get recommendations for you for for Edinburgh when you come back from there. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So last question, which I've actually stole this from an interview that Christina and Lauren did uh, at an event I went to. But what currently brings you joy? Let's see. What currently brings me joy? <laughs> Wait, I shouldn't have to think so hard about that. Um, probably baths, most of all. Uh, baths. My family brings me a ton of joy. Um, my daughter, like going to see her volleyball games, um, anything like that. I'm a big, uh, I'm a big family person. So like my husband got really sick a couple of years ago with COVID and he was in the hospital for three months and I haven't lost perspective on that. Like I still, I, I told myself I would remember, like remember, and I would never forget like how, how incredible it is to have everybody home and be healthy all at the same time. And I haven't, like I've managed to hold on to that. So when we're all sitting around at the dinner table and everybody's like there and healthy and happy, I bet those are joyful moments for me. Um, but other than that, I mean, buying, buying, <laughs> buying uh, cosmetics <laughs> is really a big one for me. Going on walks and listening to my true crime podcasts. Uh, that's definitely up there. I've got a lot of things actually now that I think about them. So cool. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Tessa, for being here. Like I said, you have no idea what an honor it is to be able to talk with you. Like I said, never in my wildest dreams did I ever think that this was possible. Just thank you. Thank you for the books you write and thank you for everything. You're welcome. You and thank you for the wonderful questions and having me. And um, I'm so glad this happened. I'm so glad it worked out. Absolutely. My second guest today is one of my favorite people and as of today, an officially published author. Her debut, Call of the Sea, a gender-bent Little Mermaid retelling meets brave new adult fantasy romance, is now officially out. 
She is a fat, queer, neurodiverse author of affirming romance and fantasy and can be found traipsing around the nearest beach, wandering around Disneyland, or curled up in bed with her two cats, named after a pirate and a mermaid. Please welcome my friend, Emily B. Rose. Well, welcome, 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 Emily. Hello. I'm so excited to have you here. Congratulations. So excited to be here. Look at us go, like from being on a street team together and becoming friends to being an author and a podcast runner. Like, this is so cool. (laughs) I know. And I've like, that's been one of the coolest things is for those of you who don't know Emily and I, we met in Adeline Grace's street team. We were both members and we ended up meeting up was it Y'all West a couple of years yeah. ago? Yep, it was Y'all West. And we stay friends and we've been to several festivals together and several signings and stuff. And it's just been so cool to see the journey that you've been on and your debut. Was, so oh. <laughs> thank you. And so when this episode airs, your book will be out the exact same day. Yes. So how does it feel to have your first oh book officially published? It feels insane. Like it doesn't feel real yet. I still am like waiting for it to feel real or like waiting to feel like an author um I don't know when that's gonna happen but (laughs) I'm just excited to like actually be able to say like I have a book out instead of like I have a book coming out you know I'm excited well I'm so proud of you and I'm so excited I love this book uh and we'll get to the book specifically here in a second but let's start uh out the interview with the question I start all my interviews off with It's why did you want to become a writer and how did it happen? So I actually didn't want to become a writer at first. I didn't think that I could write a whole book. Like I didn't think I was creative enough. Like I enjoyed writing. I loved language. I loved reading, but I didn't think that I had enough talent to like actually write a full book. Um, And I was actually a theater major in college And I had an English teacher who, she's who I think in my dedication, but she was like, no, Emily, you're, you're an English major. And I was like, no, no, I'm a theater major. She's like, no, no, Emily, you're an English major. (laughs) And so I changed my major and I decided, hey, you know, what's easier than being an actor, being an author? Sure. Right. That's totally easier. (laughs) Let's do that instead. So I changed my major and I wrote a book somehow (laughs) so that's all like how it kind of happened um I started writing Call of the Sea as a class assignment in college so and then once the class ended I was like actually I want to finish this story so I did now why did you choose to go the indie published route like the self-published route as opposed to traditional publishing because there's a lot of benefits to self-publishing yeah yeah, it, it was a decision that I spent probably six months thinking about. Um, I was getting it ready to query, but the entire time I was getting it ready to query, I had this like voice in the back of my head being like, I just don't know if that's right for me for this story. Um, it's new adult, which is a genre that's so, so new and still so controversial in traditional publishing, which is so stupid to me. A new adult should be an official genre it makes no sense it's an entire age group of people (laughs) and like young adult is such a wide age it's from like what 13 to 18 I think and I'm sorry but the stories for 13 14 year olds are completely different than the stories for 17 18 year olds no exactly and what about all the like 20 early 20 Mm -hmm. somethings like why do they not get books about them so Mm -hmm. 
That's where I was. So it was originally going to be a YA when I was going to query it because I was like, I can't do new adults. So I'll do upper YA. She was 19, um, which again is a little bit old. And even like for YA, that would have been really hard. Um, but I didn't want to age her down anymore. Um, I started writing Call of the Sea when I was 20. And so I really wanted to like write a story about people my age and like have people who were in my place in life see themselves on a page. Um, you read all of these love stories about 16 year olds, like finding the love of their life. And like, that is not everyone's story. And as much as I love YA romance, cause I love YA romance, but like that isn't everyone's story. There are people, other people my age who haven't found the love of their life. So like, I wanted to write a story about like that as well. Um, so yeah, that's kind of one of the reasons, um, kind of being fat, I really wanted control over that. Um, I didn't want to have to take out any of the like parts in the book talking explicitly about her fatness or her ADHD or her demisexuality. I wanted to be able to have a fat girl on the cover and it be exactly what I wanted and not have to have to let things go for the sake of uh, traditional publishing. So those are some of the reasons. And then just romanticity in general is having a really big boom in indie right now. So just made more sense to go indie than traditional. And of course, as soon as like end of 2023 into 2024, now romanticity is having its moment in traditional publishing. Um, I decided officially about last February to, uh, to indie publish. So I decided right before they started actually putting out romantic and traditional publishing, but I still don't regret it. I still think it was the right choice. Absolutely. Now, out of all the genres you could write, why did you choose romance and fantasy? Um, I'm such a hopeless romantic. I, that's just, it was always going to be romance. I like, I find stories without some kind of romance boring, which is not to say that those stories aren't valid at all, because they are. We definitely should have stories with no romance in it for people who don't want that. Um, It's just not what attracts me to reading. I love reading about romance. I love love. Um, And so I always knew I wanted to write romance. I didn't plan on writing fantasy. I always thought that I would write contemporary. Um, And then when I had that class that I started writing Call of the Sea for, I needed a book to work on. And my other option was this contemporary, again, a 20-year-old, so I don't know what I would have done with that one, but it was a contemporary romance. Um, And I just didn't really want to work on that one for the class. And I honestly can't remember why now, but I had this 2000 word short story that I had written for an Instagram short story writing contest a few years before that obviously never went anywhere. Um, But the only requirement of that short story was to be related to or taking place on the sea. So I wrote like a little 200 or 2000 word story about a princess who believes in mermaids and she falls off a cliff into the ocean and a merman saves her but then she turns his back on him and goes back to her kingdom and her duty um and I just was like wait maybe I make this an actual full-length novel and so the novel looks almost nothing like that short story there are a few things that are the same from them a few like lines that I really liked but um yeah, that's pretty much the only thing that stayed over from it. But it just kicked into gear this idea of a gender-bent Little Mermaid. And it just naturally happened. Now, the gender-bent Little Mermaid, that was what I was going to bring up next. You pitch it as a gender-bent Little Mermaid kind of meets Brave. 
So why were these the stories that influenced Kenna's? Like, why was her love of the sea and her connection with it so important for you to explore? And why these kind of like fairy tales? So, um, alongside Kenna, I also do have ADHD. And two of my hyperfixations are just mermaids in general and the Little Mermaid. Um, she's always been my favorite Disney princess. I've always been obsessed with her. No idea why. Um, it just has always been mermaids and the ocean and pirates are like, ugh, I can't get enough of them. So it was always going to be Little Mermaid. Um, and Brave kind of came in on accident. Um, I just love Scotland. Like, it is one of my favorite places on earth. It, like, I feel like I was born in the wrong country. Like, I should be in Scotland. Um, and I do have Scottish and English ancestry, um, but I just love the atmosphere and the physical setting of Scotland as well as, like, some Scottish culture, and so I wanted it to be The Little Mermaid, but set in a Scottish-inspired world just because I love the aesthetic and I love the land of Scotland. It is so beautiful. If you ever have a chance to go to Scotland, go to Scotland. It's one of the most gorgeous places on the on earth um especially glencoe oh my god i that i got to see glencoe at sunset and it was just one of the most beautiful sides i've ever seen and so i said it in a scottish inspired world and then i added in the marriage festival um because i like the marriage festival came in like right at the beginning but i it was like i needed something for kenna to go through like she didn't want to get married and it kind of turned into like wait this is very brave vibes and so it just kind of happened and then I was like you know what I'm leaning into it so that's how that that's how that came to be the little mermaid is also one of my like Disney fairy tale obsessions I have yeah. loved that movie like the movie specifically mm -hmm. ever since I was a little kid like I'm pretty sure I made my parents completely sick of it. And I'm pretty sure we wore a VHS out. Like I'm aging myself a little bit there with the VHS, but like, I love it. And it was just one of the things that made me most excited for this book. Cause I was like, I am ready for a gender bent Little Mermaid retelling. I'm so excited for it. Now you also have a lot of really great representation in Call of the Sea. You have fat rep, ADHD, like you said, demisexual, bisexual. Why was it important for you to have this kind of representation? So as is the theme for this book, um, that kind of was not the plan originally. Um, actually, so in the class, when I was writing Kenna, I wrote her a skinny because, you know, the whole world is skinny. Every character is skinny, always. And I just kind of wrote her a skinny. And I'm writing her as, like, physically described as, like, this perfect-looking, like, socially acceptable, socially, like, beauty standards skinny gorgeous whatever and my teacher was like you wrote her looking pretty perfect but then she has all these insecurities and like these thoughts and all this kind of stuff and I was like oh yeah that's just like me bleeding through and so I was like you know what no she is fat so I made her fat um and I started writing this in February of 2020, so it's been four years, and over the past four years, a lot in my life has changed. Um, I realized I was demisexual, and then I got diagnosed with ADHD, and then I realized I was also bisexual, and so all of this stuff was kind of like me exploring these things within myself and me discovering these things about myself through my writing. So, like, no matter whatever happens with this book, I have Canada to thank for helping me, like, 
learn more about myself and figure it all out through writing her journey. So once I realized that, um, I actually had Chloe Lisa read and critique my book. Uh, I got that off of a fundraiser, which was like kind of the coolest thing in the entire world because Chloe Lisa is one of my author idols. I She's amazing. That's incredible. Like, She's just a wonderful human being, first of all. Um, her writing is fantastic. Her characters are beautiful. Her descriptions, oh my gosh, she is the epitome of painting pictures with your words. And so to have her be able to read and critique it was just so incredible. And one of the things she mentioned was like, like one of her comments was like, oh, I don't know how neurodiverse Kenna is, but this seems like a hyperfixation. And I was like, oh my God, you're so right. <laughs> So again, all these things that I kind of like wrote into Kenna on accident without realizing just because it's who I am and it's how I view the world. And so when I realized it, I just leaned into it and expanded it and was like, actually, I would love to see this rep in a book. So I'm sure there are other people that would love to see it too. And I'm going to really like make it a core part of the story. And so when I went through in those uh, final revisions, I really leaned into the ADHD, the demisexuality, um, Tristan's bisexuality. I actually, Tristan was bi before I realized I was bi. Um, he just, literally I was writing him and I was like, you're bi. Like while I was writing it, he just like, yeah. So that one just kind of, he told me on, on that one. <laughs> <laughs> nice, he told you. And I freaking love Tristan. I love him yes. so much. He's one of my favorite characters in this. He's just he's just a wonderful human being and I yeah. love him to death. He is the cinnamon roll of all cinnamon rolls. Um and I love him. He also was supposed to be a little side character and he was like, "No, actually, <laughs> I'm more <laughs> than this." Day. Yeah. And um that was one of the final changes actually. Tristan was her baby brother at first um and then it changed to be um her twin and that was actually a suggestion from my editor um which I think just made their relationship even better and like made the stakes even higher of like because in this world the throne is passed down to the oldest not to a certain gender and so making them twins and making him be born minutes after her like sealing her fate that she doesn't want it just kind of upped those like stakes and that emotion a little bit more so it just I have the best editor honestly <laughs> no it was it's such a good book and like I want to speak specifically to Kenneth's fatness because while we are getting more fat characters in romance books there are still way too few mm -hmm. and Kenneth struggles like she 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 struggles with her own body image and stuff a little bit but a lot of it has to do with other people yeah. and like her anger towards them because of how they view and treat her as something mm -hmm. other or something less and that's kind of interwoven throughout the book especially towards the beginning with the marriage um festival I guess I don't yeah. know what you call it like the festival or whatnot yeah and the the quote-unquote suitors and then you know, with the main love interest, you mm -hmm. know, there's some insecurities there because mm -hmm. she's so used to people treating her and viewing her a certain way. Why was this important for character, for character, for Kenna's character development? And why were these dynamics something you wanted to explore? I know you spoke a little bit about it, but. Yeah. So this is something I actually feel like so passionate about. Um, Cause as we are getting more fat rep, we're also getting lots of people 
like both fat and straight-sized people saying like, oh, I'm sick of seeing characters where they're insecure about their body still. We like stories should only be fat people who their fatness is not part of the story. And I'm like, I disagree with that. I want stories where fatness is not part of the plot at all. It just is. I love stories like that. And I also think it's still so important to have stories showing people struggling with that because it is not like a, oh, I'm happy with my body. I'm done now. Never struggling again in my life. That's not how it works. Your relationship with your body is something that you are going to fight with and and have to actively choose to like be okay with your body for the rest of your life. Like it is a lifelong journey. It is not just a, oh, I've cured my body image issues. I'm done. I'm good now. I'm, I'm cool. Like that's not realistic. And so while it is super important to see stories where fat people just are fat and there's no insecurities, there's no big like plot point about their fatness. Like they just are fat and they're living the life and they're having their story. That's fantastic. But I think that there is still space and there still needs to be space made for stories where people are anywhere on that journey because there's so many different places to be on the journey you could completely hate your body and through the story learn to love it you could love your body but still not be okay with other people loving your body you could like love your body but have moments of insecurity while you're loving your body like there's so much nuance and there's so much variety and everybody's journey is different everybody's story is different and so if we only tell one version of fatness there are going to be so many people left out of the story um like this song, oh my gosh, it was like, it's going around on TikTok that somebody wrote and the lyrics are, I'm sorry, I'm still not okay in my body. And like, that I just, love that song. I love that song so much. And it just hits me because that is where so many people are at. We've, we've swung the pendulum so far sometimes that it's like, if you don't love your fatness, you're part of the problem. And it's like, hold on a second. That's like defeating the entire purpose of, of body positivity and body acceptance. And like, yeah, I just, I feel very passionately about that. And I've already gotten some reviews um, where people are like, I wish Kenna was less insecure in her body. Or like, I didn't like how it was a man that made her feel secure in herself. And I'm like, I'm missing the point of the story people yeah and it's like I did my best to not portray that because that does happen sometimes where a girl feels insecure and it's only a man that makes her love herself and like I feel like it definitely could be interpreted that way if you're not like paying attention to the nuance but I did my best to show that that's not what this was happening she was just going through this journey at the same time as falling in love it wasn't because of him it just happened at the same time and so yeah, I'm like, I know that people are going to be disappointed in that. And I know that some people aren't going to vibe with that. And that's okay. Not every story is for every person. If you are in a place where you can only read stories about fat people loving themselves, go read those stories because they're important. They're there. They're amazing. And for all the people who still want to see people struggling and overcoming and, and learning the tools and watching that emotional growth so you can go, hey, maybe I can do that too. I, yeah, yeah. So I, I could talk about this forever. <laughs> I love it. Now, if you could have your readers take away one thing from your story, what would it be? Um, People to feel seen. And I literally, someone, ah, so someone got my arc on NetGalley and found my Instagram, uh, my author Instagram and messaged me and said like, I felt so seen by Kenna and I literally just started sobbing. I was like, oh my God, that's all I've ever wanted. So I just, I want people like me who haven't often seen themselves reflected to read 
color to see and see themselves in Kenna. Even if it's not ADHD, maybe they're autistic because there's so much overlap with that as well. Or maybe they're not demisexual. Maybe they're somewhere else on the queer spectrum, but just seeing someone like going through that journey and yeah. So I just, yeah. Just feel feel seen. Yeah. I love it. Now, do you have another story in the works? So I am technically writing book two, which is Tristan's book. Yes. Okay. Um, I was going to ask him if he was going to get his own book. Yes. I don't think I will continue in fantasy romance after this. I don't have any other ideas. I have about 12 contemporary ideas that I am dying to write. So all the rest of my books are going to be adult rom-coms. Um, but book two will be Tristan's book. Listen, it took me four years to finish Call of the Sea. And so I am not taking another four years for Tristan's book. And I do feel pressure about indie one of the problems with indie publishing like one of the benefits is that you don't have to wait for trad publishing because traditional publishing is so slow oh my gosh you could get your book deal and your book won't be out for three more years like it's insane which is also one of the reasons I wanted to go with indie I had been working on this story for so many years already I didn't know if I had it in me to keep going so many more years um that's something side note but like one of my big pet peeves is people being like, oh, well, if you like, if the story is right, you'll be passionate about it and you'll be able to do. And I'm like, no, I get this all the time. And so I just want to say this for any other like any other neurodiverse authors, just because you get burnt out on a story doesn't mean it's not the right story. There are so many people that like, oh, if you're not feeling passionate about it anymore, maybe it's not the right story. And it's like, that is so like erasing all of the neurodivergent people out there who might be so passionate about something but they just can't do it anymore because that's not how their brain works so like I just want to give that validation for anyone else that gets that like oh well maybe if you are not as passionate about it anymore or you're not thinking about it every single day maybe it's just not right I'm like no no if you think this is the right story but you don't feel that you're fine it's still your story <laughs> Um, anyways, so my little tangent, um, but yeah, I don't want to take four years, but I also, I wrote 10,000 words in November, uh, for the first seven days of November for NaNoWriMo, I wrote 10,000 words and haven't touched it since. So, um, there's just been too much going on with life anxiety and job stress and financial stress. And so like, I just haven't been able to touch it, but after launch, I'm hoping to get back to it in March. That's my goal. Um, originally I wanted to publish in September. That is not going to happen, but maybe December or next January, I can get it done. That's the current goal. Um, though I know releasing around the holidays is always iffy as well. So who knows? We'll see. Maybe I'll end up binging the story in a month and actually get it out. I don't know. So that's why I'm not releasing any, like it's coming out this time because with my brain, no clue when it's coming out but <laughs> Tristan is getting a love story I'm very excited I already have it all plotted out my critique partner um Maha and I did like a five-hour phone call where we plotted out the entire story so it is nice. fully plotted out it is fully developed um I know where the story is going I just don't know the characters yet and so I'm like writing and I don't even have names for all the characters yet because it's going to be a really challenging for me because it's not, Call of the Sea is a very small cast. Um, you basically have Kenna, her love interest, and her brother. Like, those are the only characters you really get to, like, know on a personal level, I feel like. I mean, there are other characters mentioned, of course, but 
Um, Tristan is going to be a kidnapping Faded Mates story. So he gets kidnapped by a fairy pirate captain. Um, and he's on their crew. And there are five people in their crew. So it's a six cast. It's going to be dual POV. But there's going to be six main characters, even though the other, like, uh, four members of the crew aren't getting a POV. They're there. They're in every scene and every moment. So I don't have names for anybody but Tristan and his love interest. <laughs> so I was just writing and I was like, character A says this. I'm like, but I don't know any of their personalities. I don't know what they're like. So I need to figure that out before I can keep writing. <laughs> well, I'm glad you have something in the works, though, and something that you're working towards. And I'm very excited to get... Yeah. Kristen's story. I so I far, loved Tristan, him. I feel like has been everyone's favorite, and yeah, I love I, him because I, he was a total I surprise him. that I fell absolutely in love with. Actually, fun fact: he, originally in Call of the Sea, there were six chapters from Tristan's POV and six chapters from the Love Interest POV. Um, I ended up taking them out because I felt like they didn't add to the story and like messed with the pace and the flow. Um, but I do. Oh, I loved writing from Tristan's POV when I had that. Oh, there's this one line when he's like coming. So one of his chapters, I don't know if I could talk about this actually. Okay. He was coming down for breakfast and he's like, most importantly, where's the bacon? And I was like, yes. <laughs> that yes. Was a, that was one of the yes, yes. that I had to cut that out because I, I, I don't know. It was just bacon. Like, I just thought it was so funny. I was so proud of myself. Uh, but he's yeah. just, he's snarky and adorable and yeah. I love him. He's he's a little bit himbo and I love him for that. (laughs) I love it. Now let's transition to our rapid fire questions. You can be as open or as succinct as you want. So first one, if you could only pick one genre, what would it be? I feel like I know what the answer is, but I got to ask. I feel like a traitor for this, but (laughs) rom-coms. I love fantasy romance. I love rom-coms. Own my heart. I love rom-coms. Yeah. Now, if you could write one trope that you haven't written already, what would it be? Ooh. I would love to write... Oh my gosh. I don't know. There are so many. I'd love to write, like, um, a second chance romance. Um, This isn't a romance trope, but I really want to write a good friendship breakup into one of my stories, because those are so hard and those are like just as painful as like romantic breakups and they don't get talked about enough so I really want to explore a friendship breakup and realizing maybe that friendship wasn't healthy like I really want to like get into that in one of my stories someday I like that now what are you currently reading and what is next on your TBR list oh multiple things okay I'm currently physically reading Bride by Ali Hazelwood um on ebook I am reading um um oh my gosh Camilla Cole um the dragons the Jamaican dragons oh my gosh it's a YA fantasy about Jamaican dragons so let them burn so let them burn yes fan freaking tastic um so so good and then I'm listening to fish out of water by Katie Ruggle very nice I have to read like 10 books at once now because my brain is so like back and forth and I'm very much a mood reader so like Mm -hmm. I will start a book and even if this book is fantastic I will oh yeah a lot of the time I get to a certain point and I'm like I gotta take a break and it's has nothing to do with how good or bad the book is that's and I'll skip 
to something else. And then like three months later, I'll come back and I'll finish it. And I'm like, hey, that was a really good book. Yeah. I, I am very like, so let them burn 100% a five-star read. And I'm very, very slowly reading it because I have zero brain capacity right now. And so all I have the brain capacity for is little rom-coms that I just like breeze through in an hour. So reading a YA fantasy that's very dense and doesn't have a lot of romance, I'm like, I am obsessed, but also I have to read it very slowly because my attention span is like squirrel. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, uh, I, I completely understand yeah. what that's like, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Now, what is the most valuable piece of advice you've received in regards to your writing? I don't know about general advice, but it was really cool. Um, when I got the feedback from Chloe, I was struggling with the opening. Like the end of the book was pretty solid, but the beginning of the book was like the pacing was a little bit off and like I didn't know where to start it exactly. And one of the things Chloe said to me was, write the beginning or like the opening how you would picture it playing in a movie and that just like snapped into my brain and I immediately went and wrote and like it was so much better so like you all can thank the first chapter for (laughs) call of the sea to Chloe um so that just really like write it how you would see it in a movie and that just helped me really get into like so I'd say that was my favorite piece of advice I've gotten even though it's very specific but That's a good one. Now, if you weren't an author and education, money, experience, none of that mattered, what would you do for work? Uh, I still love musical theater. Like that was when I was a theater major, I was going to go to New York and fight for the dream. And I'm so I do not want to live in New York. I am so glad that I didn't do that. But I do miss theater like I can't even explain it, but before books, music was my first love. So like musical theater holds such a special place for me. I'm so passionate about it. Um, and I miss it a lot. I am also an ex-theater kid. Yeah. And it's whenever I go see a show, like mm-hmm. I have like two or three weeks where I am just not depressed, but I'm just like, God, I miss that world. I will literally so cry much. during the yeah. opening <laughs> Yeah, just like I just I like, oh, missed the experience. Yeah. Speaking of so. Wicked, the trailer. I can't. I'm excited. Wait, I cannot wait. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I. You can take the kid out of theater, but you can never take theater out of the kid. Mm-mm. Nope. It doesn't matter how old you get; it's not going to happen. Nope. Now, if you could invite any person over for dinner, dead or alive, who would you invite? Oh. Don't actually know. I feel like I like like fame and like people that you think of. I like them to be like separate. I don't know if I would want to, to be honest. I feel like I would just be disappointed. <laughs> and that would suck. I'm not going to yeah. lie yeah. to be disappointed. Now, so, if you can invite a fictional person over for dinner, though, who would you invite? Ooh, okay. Um, Ren Bergman. Yes, I love Ren. Yes. I love Ren. Is just he's so good. He is so good. So, and for those of you who don't know who Ren is, he's from one of the Bergman brothers books by Chloe. Chloe um, but, that yeah. whole series, that whole series is freaking fantastic. I'm yeah. obsessed with that series. I'm currently rereading it so I can read my arc of the seventh book, but I'm taking my time because I'm so not ready for it to be over. Oh. I don't know what I'm going to do when there's no more Bergman books to look forward to. Like, my life will be empty. I don't like. 
They're so good. They're so good. Now, so, yeah. now, where is a place that you haven't visited that you would like to, both domestically and internationally? Oh, um, domestically, I've been to thirty something of the fifty states, so I feel like I've seen a lot. I would love to go. That's what I would love to go to Yosemite. I've never been to I live in California my entire life and yeah. I've never been to Yosemite. Like it's ridiculous. Uh but it's just like that thing of like you never go see the things that are near you. So I'd love to go. I used to go camping a lot as a kid. So I really miss camping. So I'd love to go camping in Yosemite or like other famous national parks in the US. That would be really fun. Um and internationally, um I would love to visit Florence. I was supposed to go, but then I didn't because it was 2018. And that was the year of the really, really terrible. Wait, there was that Venice, which is the one with the rivers, the boats. As Venice. Tra- That's Venice. Okay, Venice. Um, I was supposed to go to Venice, but that was one of the years that it was really, really flooded. So we didn't go to Venice. Um, I'd also love to go to Tokyo. I just I think that would be so much fun and I would love to go to Disney Tokyo as well (laughs) yes we are we are Disney nerds at heart both of us are yeah I remember that was one of the things that we uh like talked about endlessly was Disneyland and everything so I gotta love gotta love Disney parks yeah when when Megan and I met I was working at Disneyland and I'm no longer no I wasn't I wasn't working at Disney yet when we met. No, not yet. No. No, but I started working at Disney after that. And that's when we started talking about Disney more, I think. Yeah. Now, last question. What currently brings you joy? Ooh, my cats for sure. Um, Always. And then Love Island. (laughs) I have just been binging all of Love Island. I just, I live for the drama. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, Emily, so much for being on here. I'm so excited for you. I'm so proud of you. And I cannot wait to see where your career takes you. I'm just so happy for you. Congratulations. Thank you you so much, Megan. Thank you for having me. This has been so much fun. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And before I sign off, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to tune in. If you want to stay up to date on episodes and announcements, please subscribe or Follow me at The Real Bookish Writer or at The Well Read Podcast on Instagram. Thank you again for listening and have a magical day. See you next week. <laughs>